talking about Buddha nature. It's actually just a way of describing us becoming our, our ourselves. Like me becoming the version of me who doesn't have any traumas or fixations or preconceived ideas about good and bad. Just like the most authentic, genuine, pure, loving self that you can be. But the thing is that as long as you have even the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest trace of confusion and karmas left in your system, that's that's not it. You're, you're, you still yeah, need to work yeah. through those. You're still as screwed as you were. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Lion Face Guru podcast. I'm Chris and this is another in a series of interviews with the Mahasiddhas of Amrita Mandala Sankha, those who have reached first stage of Buddhahood, the complete realization of emptiness. They have purified all karmas of the mind. They have attained perfect wakefulness for the sake of all beings. And I'm glad to be introducing today's guest, which is Helena Olback from Finland. In this interview, Helena describes her experience of her journey along the path from initial awakening back in early 2015 all the way through to first stage of Buddhahood. She describes how she managed to fit her practice in despite being a busy mother and a full-time worker as well as the many difficulties and obstacles that she faced along the way. Not only how she managed to find time to do her formal practice but how she managed to integrate her practice with her daily life. And importantly, she goes on to describe, after a period of stagnation in her practice, how connecting with bodhicitta, the heart-mind of enlightenment, the wish to practice and attain enlightenment for the sake of all beings, was so pivotal and essential to her progress along the path. And as she talks about the latter stages of her practice, she goes on to describe how she experienced longer and longer durations of cessations, which are temporary glimpses into one's own Buddha nature, when all selfing ceases temporarily. And of course, the moment of her final cessation, this irreversible insight into the complete realization of the empty nature of all phenomena, which happened over a year ago now, back in October 2021. Helena goes on to describe how her practice is now, how it is different to how it was before, as she continues to progress towards this supposed final attainment known as full rainbow body. So, so far, it is interesting to note that there are more women in our Sangha who have reached this final realization of emptiness. And I think Helena's journey is testament to the feminine principle of wisdom, as I feel she is someone who truly embodies the qualities of openness, devotion, surrender and faith. Helena has taught me a lot in this regard, as I know from experience that without these qualities, the path becomes very dry, even torturous and impossible. In this interview, we talk a lot about the stages of awakening, the supposed opening and perfections of Bhumis. These are part of our path map, the 13 Bhumi model. So if you want to find out a little more about what we're talking about, you can have a look at amritamandala.com in the teaching section where the 13 Bhumi model is described, or I give a brief description in Robert Anderson's interview in the introduction. So finally, if you're seeing the benefits in these interviews and you think they might be useful to others, please consider liking, subscribing and sharing. Thank you. So Helena is from Finland and is currently stuck in a snowstorm at the moment at her, you're, you're staying at your parents' house, right? 
Yes. <laughs> I got um I I was supposed to drive back home uh, already yesterday but um there there's so much uh, um snow that has fallen down so uh yeah my plans changed and uh, <laughs> I'm stuck here for a day. <laughs> so you had you had your shrine ready and you had your your roads ready but but you've got your mala. They're all at home. Yes, I have my mala. Yes, <laughs> unfortunately, my robe, it's at home. So I couldn't wear it for the interview. So Helen is actually someone who uh, I've probably followed the closest in her journey. Uh, she wrote a very detailed journal in the Sankha. So it was quite easy to follow along. Um, and uh, by the time I had joined in, she was well at the forefront of everyone in, in the Sangha. And it was all quite amazing to me her progress that she was making and uh, some of the insights that she was coming to. Uh, she was such a sensitive person to the energies and clearly such a heartfelt person. It was a long time until I actually met Helena in person at the retreat when I came over to visit at Porvo. Helena started her journey in 2015. You awoke with the two-part formula. So maybe we'll we'll start there about what brought you to the spiritual path in the first place? What sort of uh, encouraged you in that direction? What was this existential pang that led you to the spiritual path? But what was it that opened you to the two-part formula in the first place? Because I think that that was, it, it was just before coming across that, that, that was your entry point, wasn't it? You actually went to one of Bubba's teachings uh, in the early days. So do you want to describe that? that? Yeah, it was actually so um, that um, if we start kind of from from the beginning, mm. um, the, the kind of existential pain, and uh, it, I never felt it as existential pain, but I was I felt like there was something in the world around me that was off, that I, I couldn't place my finger on what it was. But there was just like this nagging sensation of of things that somehow things don't, even if kind of things function, they don't make sense on a deeper level. But yeah. I couldn't kind of get my head around what it was or how it should be otherwise, other than I, I, I couldn't actually believe that what we do and how we, we look at things and our surroundings, that life would be just that. Mm. I couldn't, I, I I couldn't find that kind of compromise in myself to believe that that's everything that life has to offer. That there has to be something more, something deeper, something, just something that would make sense. Because I didn't feel like the world as we live it, it didn't make fully sense. Mm. I could like there, like people being irrational and acting out from pain and. And there, that was just, there was some, I, I kind of felt like I was, I was looking for something, but I didn't know what it was. That all, I, I remember it quite clearly, those thoughts already from, from my teenage years, that uh, there was this sense of things being off. And um, I remember my mom told me that it was winter. I was two years old, and um, so this was then early, quite early 80s, 
and um, there were no street lights and anything so it was pitch black it was pitch dark in the middle of the night when i woke up and um, i was looking around and then i woke my mom up and asked her that is this what death is like <laughs> yes so, and uh, uh, I, I think that was something quite so there was like i've always had this kind of feeling that there's there's just something more and um well then um i started university and i threw myself into partying and kind of looking traveling and everything so i was looking at at the solution from like outside myself mm -hmm. and uh experiencing things and doing things sometimes sensible and sometimes not that sensible things and just kind of throwing myself into something and then jumping to the next thing and the following thing so there was i was kind of, kind of constantly on the move in a way there was a lot of searching but aimless searching there was no focus just kind of this um mishmash of uh, um, ideas what might make me happy still like this somehow like a hollowness or something that really didn't get fulfilled the um, yoga fair that you mentioned where uh, uh, mm -hmm. baba was giving um, the um, a lecture on the two-part formula i actually wanted to attend but i wasn't able to with oh. with two small kids at home so I never got to that far, but it, that, there was, that was something that really is kind of, there was this, it was like a magnet kind of pulling me in, um, like this um, quite strong appeal in that. Um, and it, that was actually quite strange because, first of all, um, I didn't know what awakening was. I, I wasn't familiar with the concept of having a self that you identify with and that you could awaken from it and see that it's just an illusion. Yeah. But I knew that that, that would kind of bring, I knew there would be like some kind of shift and it would be irreversible. And I, I kind of pondered for quite a long time that I couldn't decide if that was a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> All right. I just knew, yeah, so I knew I was gonna, but that's the thing that I, my philosophy has always been that I, I'm going to regret the things that I leave undone ah. uh, and not that I'm not doing <laughs> instead of regretting that I did something and then it didn't turn out as I thought. So um, then I thought that, okay, I'll, I'll send him an email and, uh, and ask for a guidance. Mm -hmm. And I did that and uh, he replied. Uh, and then I had to politely ask that, so can you tell me what's the idea with this, <laughs> that I want to do it, but I, I really don't know what I'm getting into. Had you done uh, any meditative practice or had a spiritual practice, you hadn't had much of one up to this point, right? Not, that, not at all. No, not, not much at all. At all. Um, no, not, well, nothing that you could actually... Uh, describe as a meditative practice i did some guided meditations on youtube mm -hmm. and uh, um, was listening to some um, some uh, regressions and uh, uh, that kind of just like uh, picking something that felt interesting here and there but i never had like a formal sitting practice or anything like that mm -hmm. so you're, you're so fresh into I, it and I, you're going with your intuition at this point <laughs> 
totally and that's been kind of my guiding light the whole way i mean always kind of feeling and if there's if the intuition has like that pull towards something or not Mm. and this clearly had so um, i sent the email he explained the concept and um, that was on a wednesday in 2015 in february Mm. and uh, by uh, Friday afternoon, shortly after lunch, I was writing my uh, kind of one of the emails that we were sending back and forth at work. And I had just sat eating lunch and kind of uh, trying to to find the open space. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I was typing down my um, experiences. And then suddenly it felt like a whole body uh, band-aid was ripped off. Oh, wow. And I could breathe mm, like mm. I, it felt like i could actually for the first time breathe yeah yeah and i was like oh my god it's, it's so obvious how how <laughs> don't we know like no trumpets or fanfares or anything but just like this really ordinary like uh, like being without suddenly like there was like no friction like there was just mm-hmm like an, an expansiveness that felt so natural. And I was like, oh, this, th- how didn't I figure this out on my own? <laughs> so, I mean, the, so in a sense, I stumbled accidentally <laughs> into, into the Dharma path. <laughs> for me, I'd been uh, on the spiritual path for seven years, diligently meditating every day. When I started, it took me six or seven weeks and... <laughs> For you, it took two days. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that it took me two and a half days. That's what I was trying to remember. Uh, you you said it. There was this release, and and all of a sudden, you felt you could breathe for the first time in your life. I seem to remember reading this somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and uh, <clears throat> kind of um, the uh, a a really kind of um, naturalness. Mm. Some, that, that something that was artificial finally like dropped away that I used to cling on to quite quite mm-hmm. I, I, I never had like a strong sense of self I, I never was like super kind of uh, tight in that sense um, but there was still like a sense that I'd been clinging on to something and that was gone and it was uh, kind of like the first experience of uh, the mind recognizing its its naturalness, uh, its natural way of being, the awakening. But it's quite interesting. I mean that it's it's in everybody that that uh, simple way of of being without friction and and uh, without the the constricting feeling of self. So uh, yeah, you would act, or I I would hope that more people would find it the tools to. To kind of uh, do it for themselves and Hope see so. that it's possible. <laughs> yeah. So your next boomy took over a year. Uh, yes. To open your, me <laughs> a year and three there? months. <laughs> what happened, Helen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was my first idea when I did the guidance was just like to test it out. So I was never actually set on starting a meditation practice. Then I thought that. But, but it could be quite interesting just to see what it brings because like the, the first 
first boomy opening, the first shift in the mind was such a profound experience that I thought that, well, I can give it a go. I mean, it was purely on self-based reasons to kind of see if, and, and, and off, out of curiosity as well. Mm. So um, I wasn't trying to end my existential suffering or anything. The, 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 the goal wasn't clear for me why I was practicing. So yeah. I did it every now and then. And I had small kids, so I was tired. So I hardly sat in the mornings and I was way too tired after work to sit after, then in the evening. And if I did sit, I was too energized to sleep. So yeah, I was just like all over the place in the beginning. <laughs> So it sounds That's like you, of... you weren't really a seeker yet at this point. I No, I, I was a seeker in a sense that mm -hmm. I was looking for something, but I didn't know that um, meditation and uh, spirituality and dharma was actually the, the key to that would unlock huh. or to be the solution for the searching. I hadn't had that insight yet at that yeah, point. Yeah. And then you described, uh, thinking back to your journal that you wrote, uh, you went, did you go through a bit of a burnout? Was it around this sort of time? Yeah. You sounded like you were very overloaded with work. And I wrote down a phrase that you wrote, it, bottom of a hundred meter deep, dark well. <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> things got a bit existential for you. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, that was a quite rough time <clears throat> having a, um, a long commute, um, financially a tricky time at work, two small kids at home. So there, there was a lot of things going on in, at, at the time in my life. And uh, I noticed <clears throat> when I was practicing and attending retreats um, that there was a really, really big relief. Mm for me. So I kind of had that um, kind of safe space, in a sense, like my own bubble that I could could go back into and uh, where I where things were calm and uh, the pressure from the outside world um, wasn't weighing me down and the kids weren't tugging me in, in the sleeve and saying mom, 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 yeah. and uh, where I could just be and kind of just like, <sighs> kind of relax and be present and, and have that finally that calmness that wasn't there in my everyday life. So it, it became uh, almost, I mean, I, I say hiding place because I was using it for avoidance. Hmm. I wasn't confronting my circumstances, but I was using it as a getaway from my life circumstances. So I kind of took on the victim role that because I have such a busy schedule, I can't. I don't have enough time to practice, and I have small kids. I don't have enough time to practice, and there are just like all these adverse circumstances in my life that makes it impossible for me to practice, which which actually isn't true. But I, I kind of fell into this thought pattern about like this victimizing that because of all different kinds of things I can't practice properly. I remember once, I don't remember on which, uh, what year it was, but uh, uh, I'd been on a, on a weekend retreat from Friday um, afternoon to Sunday. 
And I got back home and of course when I've, I'd been away for two and a half days the kids were like all over me when I got back home which was really really nice and then we sat down on the sofa and when the kids have missed you they start to argue and bicker and cry and get into an argument either, either the kids among them or then with me or something and I remember like um, I was sitting on the sofa and I, I, I tucked my uh, my knees under my chin and I just like sat there like, no, don't disturb my bubble. I'm feeling so good. No, just like oh, complete avoidance, like complete bypassing of everything. But that's that's kind of part of the journey as well. So uh, your your path was was quite steady through the first six or seven boomies over the next uh year and a half or so yeah. uh, I, I just want to try and have a bit of a history lesson here going back to the early days because th this was still when people didn't understand about perfections S opening sixth boomie was a, was a big thing back in those days yes. so <laughs> I, I just wondered what it what it was actually like the whole sangha was still on a discovery at the time of this what happened at Sixth Boomy uh, and the different the different goalposts that we were noticing along the way? Yeah, I think it it was actually quite an interesting time in in a way because uh, we were and especially Baba was uh, mapping the terrain. I remember a retreat uh, or a retreat for advanced practitioners hmm. was a retreat for those who had opened six boomies open. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, we have um, like first to the 13th and the karmic traces in the like one to 10. And we didn't know about the whole system. So uh, about first opening all the all the boomies and, uh, and then perfecting them. So um, now um, we have those who have full emptiness realization, quite many as well in the Sangha. Uh, but we didn't have any with 10, 10 open or Mahasiddha, the 11, 12, and 13 boomies open. So, um, I mean, you knew it, the process worked and you were progressing. So um, there was no reason to doubt or reason to think that it wouldn't carry further. Yeah. And, uh, and I could, I, I remember my first retreat that I went to and we did Guru Yoga, which is a cornerstone in the uh, Amrita Mandala practices. And uh, we did Guru Yoga with Machig Labdron. And uh, we, sh we were visualizing ourselves as her, like physical appearance and long hair and jewelry and uh, like a feminine form and uh, like bracelets and and everything and then the pointer that baba gave was also think and visualize your nails as these long nails and that's when it hit me like full like a monsoon rain the yeah. charge yeah and i was like what happened and i was kind of just like looking around <laughs> myself like inside my mind that what's going on and then when i got home i realized that it actually felt like home the feeling that that kind of uh, um, the feeling when you get after a long day when you could just like sit back and relax and just like become like 
all everything in your body all tensions just like melt away and you feel just like oh i'm home i'm safe there's nothing that's going to bother me i was like oh my god that's the experience that i had i was like okay so now i'm definitely hooked <laughs> oh wow yeah yeah that that yeah. sounds like something that would really increase your confidence that this is actually a genuine path yeah uh, for me i find this fascinating because as i as i look back into the past and and all of you guys working together through these through these early days uh, I, I think i would have struggled back in those days because oh. i think my confidence that i was actually improving uh, was was very difficult for me and i think if i was in those early days i would have thought well i I'd hardly feel like i'm getting anywhere uh, but your sensitivity and i think you, your you being able to follow your heart feels like a, a really um a, a reason for your devotion to the practice yeah <clears throat> i i would say it played quite a big role in um, kind of finding that confidence inside mm -hmm. to uh, the confidence to to kind of believe um, not believe but to know your own progress um, it's not just about opening the boomies, but the thing is that it has it, it has an effect on your everyday life. Mm. So you, you're not you don't have as much friction with the people around you because you're not reacting in the same self-based way. And you notice I remember um, a discussion uh, with uh, one of my colleagues where I knew my normal like behavioral patterns and then i had the discussion and then i was afterwards like oh my god what just happened that wasn't how i usually do it that went much smoother okay. kind of you have those loops that you're stuck in where you do the same thing over and over again and then you suddenly notice that i'm not reacting the same way anymore mm. and then you have another thing and then you just notice that like this, in small steps, your life is actually becoming easier and easier and easier because you're progressing, you're less attached. Well, that the, the kind of solid self experience that was gone with the first boomy. And mm -hmm. after that, you target the self based emotions that you have with feelings, mm -hmm. like anger, sadness that somebody's doing wrong to me. and that was unfair and like all those kind of constricting things um, are then kind of associated with associated with the following um, insight levels and seeing through them as empty as well. So it's not just like a technical process that open, open a boomy and then the following one and then the following one, but it actually carries a huge impact on your every, everyday life. And it, it just, everything becomes easier because you don't have that, or, well, it's a bit early to say you don't have um, the, the constricting feeling, but it becomes lesser and lesser and smaller and smaller and finer and finer. Mm. So it's not, you're not chopping wood uh, with an axe 
but uh, um, or, it, or in the beginning it feels like you're swinging an axe <laughs> and then maybe just a hammer and then maybe just a knife and then in the end maybe just a needle kind of so the effect of the emotion that you don't get caught up in them because they they become paler and they become fainter and uh, there's more space around everything you still have emotions but the the thing is that they're not constricting as they were before and that makes life much much easier so on this retreat you went to, uh, there's an important moment that happened for you. You talked about seeing the Kashyapa yeah. relic, <laughs> and you you, yes. you were you were on Sixth Bumi, I think, on on Sixth Bumi opening, and you came across the Kashyapa relic, and uh, you you wanted to ask a question or or make a, a in some sense a, a a vow. You decided uh, it needed to be an important vow. Do you remember this? Moment. Yes, yeah, we had uh, a refuge ceremony, and uh, Baba had brought uh, his relic. Is it called Rinzel, like the the tiny bead of uh, Buddha Kashyapa? And he um, said that we could sit with it and feel the charge, and if we wanted, we could uh, uh, make a request. And I was sitting there, I was one of the first ones, and so there was like a whole, all the other attendants were sitting, or attendings were sitting behind me, and I couldn't come up with anything that I felt was, let's say, big or somehow effectful enough, and uh, then uh, Baba signaled to me like, <clears throat> kind of that, okay, your time is running out, I was like, I need to, I, I really want to request something, but I don't know what, and my time is running out. And then uh, I was like, okay, now I know. So I was like, okay, I, I wish, or that, that my sincere wish is that we can spread the Dharma and, and for people to find the relief for their existential mm -hmm. suffering and, and uh, that the Sangha will grow and uh, that we will have. Uh, um, many practitioners and we can help even more people that way in those lines and I was like okay that's a good one and I, was like, <laughs> and I mean I, I'm talking about it in, in quite like a casual way but it came from a, a, I knew that I couldn't ask for anything for myself I had a job yeah. I had a family my parents were well I'm I'm, I'm doing like health my health is okay I didn't have anything that I could feel that I needed to ask for myself. Mm -hmm. So that's why I thought that it needs to it needs to be something that actually matters. Yeah, that was really like a turn point for me in my practice. This is why I wanted to mention it to people is it was such a huge turning point. And for me, when I came across this story, it was very inspiring because I think what you're about to come to here is is that it went from a path of uh, I want to do this to see the improvement for me. And all of a sudden, it felt listening to this, that everything turned around. All of a sudden, it wasn't so much about you. Now, now this is where Bodhicitta comes into play. Bodhicitta, the wish for other yeah. beings to become free the wish for the for the benefits of your practice to be for everyone yes and that um, 
I mean, we, we say when, when we start our practice uh, sessions, we say a prayer where we dedicate, we ask for blessings and, and that the practice may benefit all. I mean, that's kind of like a fake it till you make it thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, you say it because you're supposed to say it and you try to feel it, but it, mm. I mean, you do your best. That's the thing, that you do your best. But at some point you realize that it, it, this is kind of bigger than you, that it, it, this this goes beyond, and uh, that was that that was the moment for me when it kind of crystallized that this isn't this is something that I wish for everyone that this is that my practice, well not just that my practice be of benefit for everybody, but that everybody would be released from their suffering that there is a way out that there is some there are tools and there are methods to find that kind of peace and quiet and and happiness and joy that that basic that that kind of authentic self that you have inside that's buried underneath all the traumas and all the pain and all the confusion and that's kind of when my practice started to, to skyrocket then. In, in... Mm -hmm. And I, I found it interesting just as I, as I was looking at your timeline just earlier. And I was thinking that the first time I met you was was uh, in the November retreat and I opened my seventh. And I think this is about the same time as I came across your story, this this particular story. So back back when this happened for you, uh, it was quite inspiring from the sounds of things to the rest of the sangha as well because you shot through all of the booming openings from from sort of october time until uh, december and you opened them yeah. so rapidly that it, it seemed to really take it out of you and I, I looked at my timeline and my timeline is virtually the same as yours for for the openings where uh, I'd, I'd met you and you were talking about well this is for all beings uh, the bodhicitta is what's really going to help your practice and that was sort of quite an aha moment. And then things shifted for me very quickly. Uh, but then I didn't, I didn't look at your advice because uh, after you perfected your first in the January, and then you had yep. quite a few months off, didn't you? Because it really seemed to take it out of your system. And yep. uh, I, I didn't listen to that. I kept trying to go with mine and I completely wiped myself out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, um, it's, um, it's quite a physical process at the same time. Mm. Even if you're working on um, like a mental level, the like the, the mind and the body are just so intertwined mm. that um, we call that uh, like the body mind. So you have the energetic side, which is the mind and then the physical body and then the, the connection between the two of them. So when you, when you do changes in one, it affects the other. Um, yeah, I, I was. It actually felt like like a, a huge wave that I was riding on, mm. like a big. I could only like kind of buckle up and 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 kind of keep on and cling on, and then just like how far it will take me. I It felt like I wasn't even in control in a sense. I could sense that it kind of started to die down, but I knew that it would still carry me through the perfection of the first. Oh, right. So, and after that, 
I started to have all kinds of uh, strange symptoms, um, like um, my liver acting up and the gallbladder and uh, I went to like feel like uh, western doctors and they took all kinds of tests but everything was okay mm. but it was just like so much purification in such a short and condensed time that it took a while for for the physical body to adjust to those uh, yeah, yeah. to the new way of being yeah. Was it quite a release for you? I'm just comparing it to my own experience where as I reached the Mahasiddha Bhumis and then I opened those, there was just such a release, almost an emotional release. It felt like a, uh, the top of a volcano had been released and now all of a sudden all my emotions could flow and maybe all of these traumas yeah. from my past were being released now and the body is <laughs> yeah. too much for the body. You, you, you need to take time to yeah. rest. Yeah, I think um, I experienced at least with the opening of the 11th, for a few days, it felt like my body was healing itself. Mm. Um, that the, the traces from the burnout and everything were kind of fading away and I could feel like this new kind of aliveness, both in my body and in my mind come. So the first kind of really big shift where something was like seriously different was the 11th Bhumi, mm. like the first Mahasiddha Bhumi, where you access the, the, the natural state. It becomes, even if it's just like a small opening in the, in, in the, the, in the Bhumi, but there's like a small trickle of the natural state mm. Mm. that's constantly there. Uh. And that becomes even more profound with the opening of the 12th and even more profound with opening the 13th. So having that natural state always accessible, it doesn't mean that it's stable and always there, but that, but that you could, you knew kind of what phone number to dial in. And so you knew kind of, you had like the, 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 the address in your mind to the natural state. You weren't just like, confusingly like going through the, the phone book and but mm, you actually knew that okay that's the thing that we've been working towards so uh yeah that was a really big game changer mm. it made like meditation practice much more easy because you weren't you knew what you were looking for you already had those kind of small glimpses here and there and they become became a bit longer and a bit longer like from a fraction of a second to something that's a bit longer and a bit longer and now you knew that it's it's always accessible you didn't need to do anything but you could feel the natural state your the basic state of your own mind present even if you kind of lost it at times but it was still there so yeah so now you know what to look for so how how did you know that the first perfected? What was the the clue? I've had with all the openings and perfectionings. They, as I said, that it's quite a physical process. So I've had a very visceral experience of them, not just like a mental one, but that it it I it feels like an expansion and opening up in the physical body as well, and. Uh, for me, at least, the openings, um, when we have the boomies, the, the plates as kind of sheets, one above 
the next one, the openings pierce through them one at a time, mm -hmm. and uh, the perfections make the whole sheet disappear. Mm. So um, the opening process felt more like like where you went up, 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 and the perfection phase was more sideways and okay. integrating and moving sideways and integrating and that natural state of the mind becoming more embodied becoming fuller the experience becoming more comprehensive so and and more it's kind of like you have a light and it, it, you you just uh, you turn it on more and more and more so you so the light kind of gets integrated and it covers more and more about uh, in inside your body and outside but it's uh, it's an like integrating the emptiness into something even deeper like an even more comprehensive understanding of emptiness that an emptiness being that there is no self in all those things that you experience yeah so for myself i'm i'm trying to uh in a sense work out how you were so sure uh, uh, of these time frames because when when I, I look at your your diary you um quite clearly know when these events happened i know when fifth and sixth opening happened i know when 11th and 13th happened um i know when a couple of the perfections happened but i don't know which ones they were <laughs> uh so, so this this is uh interesting to note that that the perfections you're noticing are much like it, it kind of goes this way you're sort of describing uh, I'm, I'm trying to get a sense of you're such a felt person and and this is something that i think is not so natural for me this is something that i'm having to really work on uh, but i'm trying to get a sense of how you were so sure that that's at that point when the edges aren't there anymore <laughs> well there were the perfection of the third and fourth i wasn't quite sure of and then i noticed that um, with the fifth I knew there was like I knew there was a shift. It wasn't that big. I, I I almost always had a dark night before an opening or before a perfectioning, mm. and uh, that kind of also was a telltale sign that I could feel miserable and really lousy, and like all kinds of existential pains and fear of death and what what not. I mean, depending on. I mean, it could be like um, I remember um, kind of uh, my mood shifting from within 15 minutes from being okay to being feeling really, really, really um, like so, 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 so bad. And then I was like, okay, so this isn't really normal. So it's almost like a psychosis in a way. You're just like so absorbed in that like that kind of negative mood. And when that then suddenly it, it's like a light switch that it's on and then it's off that's also one of those that was like a telltale sign for me hmm. that while I, i'm approaching a shift when it's getting worse and worse and worse and then something happens usually i had a physical and uh, like um, i could see um, in my mind's eye also um, that something happened and then 
I would notice that there was just like this, oh, even deeper relief and even deeper kind of clarity and just like this naturalness somehow just it's just it just gets on to be deeper and more profound and you just like you're just like oh and then suddenly you notice that you're back in the uh, in the hamster wheel and your kind of the mind is again starting to go to those dark places because the new increased clarity shines light on the next kind of garbage that you have in your system, the next karmas and the next traumas and the next thought patterns and and stuff that you have stored there. So it's actually that your own increased clarity shines more brighter so that you can notice the finer stuff that you previously couldn't see. Uh, you have those kind of obscurances and traumas and things already in your mind. Practice makes you see them, and that's why it's uncomfortable. Mm. So, and that's like an ongoing cycle. So you have a, a rough period, and then you have a shift, and then it's nice, and then you kind of slide back into the rough period, and then you have a shift, and then you have a good time again for a while, and then you slide back. So it's this kind of ongoing. Uh, wave motion throughout the openings and the perfections there's an end that's the good thing (laughs) (laughs) there is an end (laughs) (laughs) yes so let's fast forward a little bit to when you were perfecting boomy nine Uh, things seem to have progressed quite steadily uh, to that point but then you seem to get a little bit stuck on boomy nine but you could notice these different dark places or or uh i, f- I forget how you describe them dark and gooey or or, or something yeah. but you had a real strong felt sense of of where you were working uh within your boomy place yeah that was a tricky one i was working on it um i have to check my my i have the same list as you have <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you, I have the original one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the original. All right. <laughs> so um, the ninth, yeah, I was working on it for nine months. Mm, six, seven, eight was in three months, and then it took you nine months for. Yeah, yeah. like the first boomy is uh, the, the the solid sense of self, and then you have the one, like the two to six through six are uh, um, associated with emotions. And then you have the subconscious mind, like the seven, eight, nine, and ten. And uh, the further you get, the subtler the things are that you're working on. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's kind of like going from a rainforest with uh, chopping down uh, vines with uh, a machete, just like swinging, and you're hitting things with like every swing, <laughs> and then at yeah, the yeah. end. Yeah, you don't need to kind of your aim doesn't need to be in place you're just like swinging like man and then at the end you're kind of like this zen gardener uh, <laughs> and you have this kind of uh, almost completely empty garden and then you have um, a, a pair of tweezers and you kind of have to pick that one black grain and then when you think you find it you notice it wasn't that one and it slipped away 
So your like the difficulty level increases so much because the, mm. the things that you're targeting as that's kind of like the, the point with, because it's your subconscious mind yes. and uh, the further you get into working with your subconscious mind, the trickier it is to kind of uh, pinpoint what it is that you're working on. It's, it's working. It feels like you're working with, um, with shades and veils and fog and mist and like murky, sticky, gooey things. But as soon as you touch it, it just like dissolves. Mm. At the end, like the, where you were talking, like where, where, what you said that I'd written in, written in my practice log about feeling and perceiving like quite clearly. So um, where it was located in the aura, um, the, the things that I had had still to purify, it felt like as soon as I was able to purify one part, it was like, um, what's the name of the game where you have these things that pop up here and there and you're supposed to smash them? Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Um, mold, so mold as, something. <laughs> yeah, whack-a-mole. That's it, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, so as soon as I was like, yes, now I got that one kind of cleared, there's a boop, there's something else, and the next one, and then boop. So it was just like an ongoing progress or process of um, kind of finding new places that you weren't able to perceive before. But fortunately, there are practices in Amrita Mandala for that, uh, like uh, shattering of the subconscious mind that that really targets the subconscious mind in a very very profound way mm. and uh, doing that practice actually was the thing that then finally made my ninth uh, uh, perfect okay. I, I was grinding on a piece of uh, a, a tiny tiny grain of sand <laughs> trying to polish it away <laughs> Grinding, grinding it away, grinding it away, and then poof! And I was like, "Yes!" Oh, what a relief! <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. What did that tiny grain of sand represent? Did it represent anything for you in emotional sense? It it was related to something from a past life. Um, I had died, and I was looking kind of up slightly. Um, to the right, I was lying on the ground and I was looking slightly up to the right and I saw my house where I had lived or where I lived mm -hmm. and uh, then I died. So that's kind of the image that I had at the moment wow. when it kind of was it? disappeared. Cool. Yeah, it was like looking at a, a photo. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't any emotions or anything else attached to it. That was just like a, an image that kind of floated through my mind and then it was gone. So now you're on 10th. Uh, did you have any cessations? I'm sure you'd had a couple of short cessations at some point, but then uh, I know on 10th, you had um, at least uh, one or two quite long cessations, didn't you? Or should we just describe what a cessation, do you want to describe what a cessation is? Sure. Um, it's kind of when the conceptualizing mind stops, when you're perceiving without any labeling. I'm trying to describe this in a really down-to-earth way so yeah, that people yeah. can relate. So when you're looking at a chair, you're not associating any 
feelings or emotions you're not projecting anything you're not analyzing it you're kind of just like observing it in its most bare form mm -hmm. so the, the chattering mind stops the analyzing mind stops and you're just you're just perceiving everything it kind of feels like your mind shuts off in a way because you're so used to that you have the kind of like the background programs all running and the, the, yeah, the, yeah. all the tabs that are open and like it's and then when every all that just stops and everything becomes for, for a few moments everything becomes just like perfect you don't have mm. you're not uncomfortable with anything you're not angry you, you you're not happy it's just like this perfect um like stability of being you, all of a sudden you're in your buddha nature with no yes. effort yes that's your experience this this is you're in your buddha nature uh, this can happen before before you reach buddhahood uh, you can experience short glimpses of it maybe uh, a few seconds to begin with in the early days and then minutes hours and then even a few days at a time before you reach the final cessation the uh, complete realization of emptiness exactly so it might sound like talking about buddha nature it's actually just a way of describing us becoming our our ourselves hmm. like me becoming the version of me who doesn't have any traumas or fixations or preconceived ideas about good and bad just like the most authentic genuine pure loving self that you can be hmm. it sounds really grand to talk about buddha nature and perfecting of the tenth and and realizing emptiness but it's all the whole process is about us becoming ourselves seeing through the traumas and and seeing through the through through all the baggage that we've we've kind of gathered along the road <laughs> through childhood and teenage years yeah. uh, school college or university um, working life bad parenting being bullied what what not and kind of uh, unravel or having seeing that layer by layer we can shed that and become who we actually truly genuinely are Mm -hmm. yeah. as samsaric beings uh we sort of want something grandiose to happen this sort of higher mighty thing uh, but the way it sounds like all of you guys describe it is uh it, the, this normalness uh as a samsaric being i think well that's, that sounds a bit dull but you're describing it as well what it was was that it wasn't normal before yeah. and uh all that stickiness and and trauma uh, is now released and now this is how it always should have been uh, I'm using Robert's words there so I was I was asking you uh, about your cessations uh, so you, yeah. you'd, ha you'd had some cessations by this point exactly and um, I started to notice um, when they started to get longer how long um, I remember we had a quite hot summer in 2021 
And I, I'm usually quite uncomfortable when it's really, really warm. But uh, I was uh, uh, scraping away paint on our summer cottage and painting and uh, um, fixing windows and like uh, putting in putty and uh, painting there. So like being physically quite active, uh, chopping wood with an axe and, uh, and uh, like quite heavy stuff. And I, at some point I noticed that I haven't felt I haven't felt annoyed and pissed off for two days and that would normally be like I, I, I don't want I, I dislike like being hot and sweaty just because I think it's really uncomfortable so I was just like something's going on <laughs> and I was like oh my god this is just perfect this is how it should be and the thing is that it's so natural and mm. when you're really really close to the end it's just like it's just like like the movement is this big in your mind and the only thing that shifts is that one moment you're annoyed and then you notice a few hours later you're not annoyed anymore so that that, that kind of nagging like that the tiny chafing that you have inside that switched off when i had that that was for me the telltale mm. sign yeah. just like close to the end that I, I was having a cessation because everything else was so clear but there was still just like a small drop of being pissed off just like ah oh, that kind of oh. uh -huh, uh -huh. and then suddenly there and for the first like I, I, I noticed that it went like two or three days was when I had like a, let's say long cessation and that felt just like I mean so good so natural that it, yeah. it I was just like this this is how it should be mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah then I had a longer one that lasted a week. I was already kind of hoping because we, we had had in the in the Sangha that, okay, so you, you're confirmed to have perfected the 10th when, when the cessation has lasted over a week. Huh. And then I was like, okay, I'm already, I'm a week in. <laughs> <laughs> and then I dropped back. Oh, oh man. <laughs> that, that was, oh, I was just, oh my God, it was brutal. <laughs> yeah it was i mean i was and that kind of led led me to this really strong kind of ping pong that mm -hmm. i was so frustrated i just like i wanted it to be over i just wanted it to be over i was snapping at the kids i was just like i i, I was behaving like somebody who had like the worst day and it just like kept on going i, I was i was not fun to be around at the time because i was just so frustrated and the thing is that you've removed all the, the shit from your system and then you're stuck with this one final idea i want to perfect my tenth i want to have perfect emptiness inside i want that <laughs> that kind of that one thing is the final thing for me it was between reaching it and then wanting to reach it yeah yeah so that kind of, all the wanting it has like this constricting and and kind of uh, um really um shrinking feeling to it and you have to let go of that mm -hmm. because you can't want that because that's selfing that that's a self-based even if if it's kind of like the end goal you need to let go and that was kind of, I was just like, oh my God, how can I let go of the thing that I actually want? 
I was like, okay, I just need to trust the process. I just need to trust the process. It got me this uh-huh. far. I just need to trust the process. And a week later, oh, was it? Then the final session started. Oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but it's um, don't get me wrong. It's full with, full. I mean. It's a big relief and release every time you have a shift and you become mm. more natural and it feels better. But the process in itself is really, really tough and rough. I remember Baba sometime, at some point comparing it to a dragon level uh, uh, retreat, <laughs> practicing as a lay pra- or as a lay person with a practice uh, regime um, that has to fit into normal, ordinary life with normal mm. responsibilities. So it's still not over <laughs> with 10 perfect, that's kind of emptiness inside of the mind. Yeah. Um, but then you have the, the uh, I mean, if we're talking technical terms, that uh, the Dharmakaya, and then we have the Sambhogakaya, like the enjoyment aspect and the, the illuminosity, what a difficult word, yeah. um, that come after that, that make it just so much richer, so mm. much mm. more alive, so much more joyful. And I remember after um, having perfected the 10th, I was sitting at the kitchen table reading some, I, don't, I was on my phone reading something, and I could notice emotions bubbling up. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, this was supposed to be over. But then I, was, then I kind of looked at the emotions like, but there's nothing attached to them. There's like no constricting feeling. They're just kind of, they're coming, but they're leaving without a trace. And I was like, okay. So I didn't drop back to samsara. <laughs> I'm still kind of like, <laughs> I'm sitting in empty space. It's yeah. okay. I can have emotions. And that's kind of where it comes. Um, so we go from like seeing all things empty, but then it starts to get really juicy. And then you start kind of to get the life and the living and the, the, the kind of life aliveness aspect back mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. integrated into the emptiness inside. And that's when you start to kind of feel like a kid. Like you could, when you get happy, you could do kind of like a dance and it, and, and feeling, you get angry, but I mean, two seconds later, you could, you don't feel anything in your physical body anymore. Yeah. It's just, it just, it's like a, like a, um, like a gust of wind that comes and goes and you have that th- feeling going on, whatever it is, and then it's gone. And it doesn't leave that you're not feeling heavy or tired for a day, but it's it's just perfect. It's an emotion in its most pure form. Mm-hmm. So, and that doesn't either mean um, that you can't have what you would call bad emotions. I've been angry, uh, frustrated, um, but basically you can have the whole array of emotions but the thing is that we're just so used to thinking or somehow there's this this um, idea that um, once you have emptiness inside and like the the first uh, reach first level of buddhahood 
that you're kind of above everything and it's just happy, happy, joy, joy and love yeah. and compassion and, and everything is just positive feelings. But that's just kind of half of it. You have the other half of the emotions, like the negative emotions. You have wrathful deities, uh, wrathful expressions. And, and they're just part of the, the whole vast array of emotions that human beings experience. So they are as enlightened as expressions, the negative ones, as the positive ones, because there's no self-based emotion behind them. It's just the pure form of the expression that comes through. Mm. And that was a big thing to realize that it's not an absence of emotions, but it's the richness in the emotions. They're not coming from a self-based place, but from the natural state. So how was it when you first uh, realized this emptiness? How was it that you knew that this is emptiness now? Did, were you, was there a difference between the cessation before and then you had this cessation? Uh, but was there any worry that, okay, well, this, might, this cessation might last a week and, and then it will all happen again? Or by this time, did you know that this is the final there was, um, I felt pretty certain already with the first long one or with the mm -hmm. week long one. Um, but the level of certainty when it actually perfected the 10th was, um, there's a quality to the, to the natural state, to our own mind, which is called knowingness, mm -hmm. kind of like the mind recognizing itself. And that was completely unwavering. Mm, mm. that was just like this this is it there's there was nothing more and nothing less and that that was the end goal of emptiness um or, or realization like the the mind had recognized itself as it should be recognized like the, the emptiness of it was full there was nothing to add or take away and there and there was like a like a stability that wasn't there in the cessations yeah and a confidence as well that wasn't there i see yeah do, do you remember the precise moment that it happened like where were you or what you were doing i was actually uh uh my daughter was uh, going to bed and uh, she was upset about something and I was uh, uh, lying next to her in bed. Yeah. And uh, then it, it kind of struck me that that's uh, like, uh, uh, I was really tired. Um, I don't know, it was pretty late in the evening and uh, I, I just wanted to go to sleep myself. Uh, but I was in her bed and comforting her and she fell asleep and uh, I just didn't have the energy to get up. So I was kind of just lying there and, and kind of going through this idea about bodhicitta and uh, uh, kind of this showing compassion. Uh, that's kind of like um, that this is actually um, kind of like a selfless service. Mm -hmm. um, that I'm comforting her and uh, wishing or trying to make her f her feel better, and uh, that's that. There's like this compassion aspect there, and that's when it happened. Oh wow! How beautiful! <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. That's, so, that's very uh, poetic. 
that's kind of also like this bodhicitta that we were talking that kind of uh, rocket fueled the progress from the sixth was actually the same thing that uh, that was uh, kind of the fuel for the tenth as well then there was this certainty in it that wasn't there in the cessations before mm -hmm. yeah so th this is uh something that builds confidence in me with uh, someone like me with my analytical mind and uh, I read some of your posts and you're talking about uh, feeling these auras and uh, visions that you have and bumblebees sitting in flowers and, and these types of things <laughs> and uh, I, I have one mind which wants to be open to this and and really take it in and, and believe it and you're really aware of the progress that's going on uh, but then part of my mind says, is some of this your imagination? Uh, are, are you somehow making this up uh, in, in a way, sort of kidding yourself? Maybe this is some sort of placebo uh, effect to you. But just to remind the viewers that this is well over a year ago now. And reading your journals and chatting to you and hearing about your journey along the way, there's so much ups and downs and and difficulties that you had to go through as a as a mother and etc etc living a living uh, a busy life and uh, you've got kids to look after you're going to work you've had these traumas that you're working through and just to hear this story as you go along and then to uh, speak to you now and you talk from this point of utter certainty about this realization of emptiness, that this emptiness is a stability that has been um, permanent, all pervasive, as it were. Uh, there's no part of that emptiness that has ever gone away. So, yeah. yes. no. Mm -hmm. So for for someone Sorry, like me on. with with an <laughs> analytical mind, it's it's that helps. <laughs> <laughs> You see those kind of uh, uh, things that are occurring that can, uh, I mean, it's when you take everything away, all the confusion and all the pain. So what you're left with is love and mm -hmm. compassion mm -hmm. and this basic goodness that we have inside of ourselves. This um, natural, effortless goodness, um, it doesn't mean that it's blind or that it's kind of uh, stupid in a way or naive. Yeah. Um, because there's the wisdom aspect in it as well. So you, you can be, it's like, you could kind of compare it to tough love with kids or something. That you, you, it doesn't mean that you're like a doormat. Partly you become aware of your own boundaries because you know you, you learn you, you you get to learn and know who you are. You've gone through all your shitty experiences. You've gone through all the traumas. You've gone all gone through all all the things that have caused you pain mm -hmm. and and kind of like mental discomfort. So what you're left with is your pure, the purest version of yourself like in your mind or on, on like on when we were talking about the, the, the um, 
the emptiness. Like you don't have those self-based habits and tendencies anymore that you had. And after that, I, I was kind of struggling with finding motivation, what to do, because yeah. I'd been I'd been propelled by like self-based motivators. <laughs> I want to prove myself. Um, well, I, I never search for a career, even if I want, or, or even if it kind of landed in my lap. Um, but I wanted to to show that I can rise up to it, to the yeah. challenge, yeah. and and kind of those or avoiding things, so doing things because you're avoiding something, um, and suddenly you're in this kind of empty space. There's like nothing pushing or pulling you in any direction. Like this was for me directly after the tenth perfected, um, and uh, and a while after that there was. I wanted to to progress in in my emptiness inside, so I was meditating, and I noticed that it had a good effect on me. So I kind of I, I, it it was like a positive feedback loop, and suddenly you don't have any feedback loops there, mm. and then you're just like like it, it's like this empty vast hall, and you're just kind of shouting <laughs> that which direction do you want to go? <laughs> and so this is new territory. It's new territory. Um, I'm not saying it's like this for everybody, but for me it was. So I kind of, there was nothing that was pushing or pulling me in any direction. And I was kind of feeling a bit lost in a sense, because all those things that had kind of made me work or move forward or, or do something kind of dropped away mm. because they were self-based. And then I noticed that kind of like the only things that make sense and actually make me happy are, are those things where I can do some good. Mm. Um, help somebody, um, like a, some, somebody from the Sangha, if they're having a rough time or if they want to chat or text. Um, helping out with some charities that I'm supporting. Um, organizing retreats. Kind of these acts of, of compassion. These acts of bodhicitta. These acts of um, of goodness hmm. that makes you feel good inside and makes the recipient feel good inside. Those kinds of that's the only thing that actually existentially makes sense anymore. Everything else is just to make ends meet, but there's no kind of um, the the burn and the drive in the relative world. I mean, as in being like career or uh, something like that. I mean, it, it's okay. I'm not saying that, but the kind of like the fire that was there has died out and been substituted with something which is much more profound and something which mm. is much more grounded and wholesome, gen more genuinely me, if mm -hmm. I say it like that, and, and makes me feel good. And in doing in, in that, that it makes me feel good, it has a, a positive effect on, on my surroundings and, and, uh, and kind of my expression of, um, it, it's an expression of my bodhicitta. That's mm -hmm. actually the thing that makes sense anymore. So it, see, it seems to me the thing that's opened up is the clarity with knowing yourself fully. Uh, those words I borrow from Tia, she, she said that, she truly knew herself now and 
it's it's a, a clarity in your wakefulness in the sense that there is no more subconscious anymore nothing is hidden from your view and yes so now all of these self-based tendencies of these motivations to go this way or that in your career or or your family life or uh, material possessions uh, yeah. is there a sense that things flip around in a way and now the clarity comes because now you're aware of yourself so fully you understand what makes you and everyone around you happy i think it's also um i i had the idea for a long time to be able to really be happy you needed to live a small life mm. um i wasn't exactly sure what the small life was but i had this idea and uh, i thought it might be like asceticism or something kind of renouncing things uh -huh. but that's not the tantric way i mean we're tantric practitioners yeah. so we use all the aspects that we have in our daily lives um, as fuel for our practice that doesn't mean that we need uh, to renounce things I don't know, we can have a car and we can have jewelry and uh, we can wear jewelry and nice clothes. But it doesn't mean that we're attached to them. It, because um, and if we are attached to them, we use that as practice material. That, that's kind of a, the way that the tantric, tantric path works, that everything is allowed. Everything, all emotions are allowed. Or, I mean, all aspects of life, food, um, enjoying company, going to concerts, listening to music, dancing, laughing, having sex, uh, discussions, whatnot. Like the whole vast array that of what life has to offer is the tantric path. And, and kind of the emptiness insight just means that you're not attached to it, even if you mm -hmm. have those in your life. So I kind of got that wrong early on and um, kind of thought that it was renouncing things that made things easy and not the, I, I, I didn't understand. I hadn't made the connection of non-attachment that it's actually the attachment to the things that makes, um, life difficult yeah not that you have those things but that you're attached to them mm. and that's the thing that causes friction I, I see that in myself that i was quite attached to minimalism and in a way an, an ascetic like i was going down that road uh, attached to an ascetic life <laughs> it's sort of i, I was yeah. a bit i was a bit blinded to that you're, you're trying to renounce things physically in order mm. to uh, unattach them mentally yeah but as tantrics we're focused purely on the letting go at a mental level yeah exactly and that's also what I, I i i never actually fully leave that thought out and in kind of renouncing things yeah that's not the tantric way and i'm actually happy for it it's uh, because yeah. that means that you can be a, a, a lay practitioner and have kids and a job and everything mm -hmm. and, and that's yours. Who can go and uh, on a three-year retreat or take three months off or something? That's those people are far and few, few yeah. apart. Yeah. 
especially if you have a family. So something that works uh, is like an effective method that works. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would have made it this far if I wouldn't have had mm. so efficient tools in rainbow body yoga and uh, the different layer levels of empowerments in there, in that system. Just because my my existential pain wasn't strong enough in the beginning or from the beginning and in the beginning, and mm. I wasn't kind of a seeker in that sense. I was I didn't have a meditation regime and I don't think I could have stuck with a meditation regime if I wouldn't have had those that kind of like seen my own progress and what kind of experiences are the effect of those experiences and, and insights in my day to day life. So perhaps I'll take the opportunity here to backtrack a little bit because I didn't ask you too much uh, about your practice, but I think that might be important for viewers looking because you had a busy life so how how did you fit your practice in uh what what were you doing uh in say the the later stages of of perfection how did you find time to get your practice in a lot of my practice um i was doing in my car on my commute to work i, I mm -hmm. drive an hour in in both directions so i used that time both uh, listening to retreat recordings and uh doing guru yoga, mantra chanting, um, chanting uh, the uh, empowerment mantras, especially towards the end. Uh, I think that kind of like the practice changes as you progress. So you start off with a, 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 like a fixed practice formula, rainbow body yoga, and mm -hmm. it's set up in a certain way and it addresses all the different layers of the mind um, and as you progress you kind of notice you start to kind of freestyle because you have a, yeah. a pretty big toolkit and you can it's kind of like uh, what kind of food do i want today or <laughs> kind of, uh, what kind of food does my practice need today yeah. and then you kind of pick from that toolbox and you're so, a chef that, that understands the principles behind making exactly. a good meal <laughs> yeah yes exactly because you know kind of what you're looking for like on how your mind should feel and uh, you get you, you start to kind of intuit and and kind of flow between those different aspects of the practice mm -hmm. and, and the toolkit and find and make the practice your own in that sense mm. and um and then especially towards the end when you're when you're working with really really subtle subtle things, I noticed that kind of like when you're doing the two part formula for awakening, I return to that same um, uh, same process of recognizing how does the mind feel when it's clear the natural state, and then if I had a thought, I would always kind of filter it through. Does this come from an open and aware state or does this have a contraction in it? If it has a contraction in it, I started to kind of un, like peel the layers and ask myself, okay, so why this feeling? Okay, and then what lies behind or below that? And then the following one and then the following one and then poof, suddenly there wasn't that. So like the two part formula is a genius, genius tool because it works yeah. early on and it works at, 
like quite all through all to, all through the end as well. And that's such a practical way to put it. Uh, you're including this directly in your life. You're you're using your sensitivity to notice these emotions that you have uh, on a moment to moment basis. And as soon as you're feeling that contraction in them, okay, well, this is a chance to have a look at this, right? I can focus on this now. Why am I feeling this? Oh, this is this is some self-based stuff yeah. coming up into it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, exactly. so now it becomes so a whole it, holistic thing. Exactly. And that's kind of like a really big shift from just practicing on the cushion yeah. and bringing practice into your day-to-day -day life. So also just like the simple idea, um, I remember quite early on, uh, Baba was talking about ethics and being a student and uh, a yogi and, uh, and uh, um, one of them, or the, the idea was like the, the, the ethics behind or, or, or being a practitioner and uh, like the concept of non-harming and not lying and uh, I took on that pretty early on mm -hmm. as an idea that the, the thought of if I need to lie, I'm trying to either protect someone or protect myself from with from from disclosing the truth. And if I'm protecting myself, I have some kind of why am I doing that? There's some kind of reaction that makes me do that. So I really, really tried to stick to that. When I noticed that uh, I'm trying to kind of um, stray away from from the uh, telling the truth path um, just by saying a white lie or something, that why is that? That why am I doing this? So so kind of it's not just about having a fixed practice on the cushion, but really trying to make it part of your everyday life and observing your. So, because what's happening in your mind is what comes out from your mouth and the thoughts that you have. So really paying attention to that, kind of not believing everything that your mind feeds you. It's kind of fake news and you have to be really kind of discerning that is that, is that actually true or not? Yeah. So now that you're uh, a year, it's over a year ago since you had this insight can you try and describe to me the difference between the experience as you're perfecting 10th Bhumi and how you experience true emptiness? So I imagine things were pretty subtle uh, towards the end of 10th. You're working with the, with the finest stuff. But is there any way to describe what is different about this experience still at perfecting 10th and having perfected 10th? Because... There is so little. You've had several um, several cessations, so you know what the basic state, the emptiness, full emptiness is of mm. the mind. You you know that because you've had those cessations. So you've got your compass and, aligned. Uh, exactly. You know. You know. You're you're really aware of what the end goal is, mm. and um, so it, it just those moments when you're not in that you're acutely aware because there's nothing obstructing those final bits of confusion that you have left so it's again this really it's like a ping pong between 
confusion and clarity mm. and then you slide back into confusion and then you notice that ha huh, i'm i'm in the clarity again and then you slide back into the confusion like the insights and and those cessations and those glimpses they're like as we spoke of earlier they're just like the fraction of a second and then they mm. become longer and slightly longer and slightly longer and then at some point you realize that okay full emptiness inside first stage of buddhahood in this life is possible mm. then you kind of progress a bit more in that and then you realize that okay i have that emptiness in me i have that insight in me i'm just stuck in this confusion for a while longer so the table kind of flips from kind of seeing yourself as a samsaric being working towards emptiness insight or emptiness yep. realization and uh, then you realize that ha huh, i am that i only have these few bits and pieces left mm-hmm. and for me that it, it, it's a really it's a confidence booster like because you're kind of you're the insight is something that nobody can take away from you mm-hmm. but it's your own insight you don't need verification for from someone else to say that yeah, because your confidence in the emptiness insight at that point is so strong that you know like you said that you have your kind of aim set and the compass yeah, like pointing yeah. in the right direction but the thing is that as long as you have even the tiniest 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 trace of confusion and karmas left in your system that's <laughs> that's not it you you still yeah, need to yeah. work through those so you're still as screwed as you were <laughs> but just because of that tiny tiny bit and then you're acutely aware of it mm-hmm. and it's so yeah, yeah. frustrating <laughs> yeah so this sounds a common experience because yeah. i've uh I'm sure I've heard this from a couple of you now, this idea of ping-ponging. Maybe that's some sort of sign that you're ping-ponging from utter clarity to this confusion and pain. And there's a bit of this ping-ponging before the actual full insight happens. Exactly. And the thing is that it feels like ping-pong, even if we're talking about, I mean, we've dug through like almost um, a hole uh, the size of a stadium down to the middle of the earth like that's kind of like the the groundwork that we've done and now we're really talking about like sand grain kind of fine stuff like those few last bits so it might sound quite extreme when we say ping pong but it's just because the contrast between the ultimately clear mind and the the last bits of confusion are just they're so highlighted because of the contrast mm-hmm. be- between them so uh, perhaps i can read something that you wrote uh, this is in your early days of of purification but it might give us something to talk about here um yeah. so one of your main insights it sounded uh, in the early days you you said uh, things are as they are has become my favorite thing to say phenomena <laughs> that arise arise without attachment and dissolve without leaving a trace things can be complicated and ambiguous but it doesn't bother all things are perfect the way they arise be they good bad or anything in between wow 
I'm That's impressed. A, some profound insight, Helena. <laughs> <laughs> I need to quote myself sometime. Um, yeah, that's so kind of... what, what I want to ask about that from, from a samsaric point of view uh, is how is it that things are as they are? How, how is it that everything is uh, perfect? Surely something that's bad is bad and something that is good is good. And so the, the, from the samsaric point of view, it's quite hard to sort of understand. Um, it, it's not easy to understand as a samsaric being. Mm. Because that, that's some that, that's an insight that comes with uh, um, emptiness insight. It's called also one taste, but it's basically the understanding that there is no good or bad. That mm -hmm. samsara is nirvana and nirvana is samsara. That things that arise, you, you don't have labels like good and bad, but the things just arise. Like I said in that quote. Basically, it means that there is no duality, that mm -hmm. there is no separation, and that's that no separation also covers good and bad as in being, just yeah. being. But we're just so used to putting labels on things mm -hmm. that it's difficult to see past them. But it's basically that, that like, um, the idea or the concept an insight that you don't have separation, that you things are happening as they are happening mm -hmm. because of whatever reason they are happening. Mm -hmm. And um, it's our, our, our selfing and self-based mind that, that attaches those good and bad and want and not want when in fact, they're just things that arise within this awareness. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, yeah. I remember I, I had that exact question at some point. Oh, yeah. And uh, yes, and Baba's uh, reply was that practice and you'll find it out. <laughs> <laughs> so, I. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I did practice and. Uh, you found out. <laughs> no, I know. And it started to make sense and it started to make more sense and more sense and more sense. Uh -huh. so, uh -huh. yeah. um, so I want to come to a, a bit of how is your practice now in terms of is concentration much easier? But for meditation itself, is, is it something that switches on instantly now as compared to perhaps before uh, emptiness realization, is there a sense that you sit on the cushion and... Um, definitely, because there's less things obstructing the mind. You're able to perceive and feel and see things more clearly. I'm talking about kind of subtle seeing. Um, do you know the feeling that you have after a long good retreat when you're just like feeling really fresh Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and you're kind of like have, have this really nice, good feeling. Mm -hmm. um, it's like that all the time. Oh, so it's good. no difference <laughs> if you're, you're as fresh when you go into the retreat as you are when you when you end the retreat. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that, that that sounds like it's so, useful for this next part of the yeah of the process. Uh, yes. Ah, uh, okay. I thought you meant kind of like the the uh, emptiness aspect. 
um, but um, oh yeah, yeah I, I, I was, but I imagine the fact that it's always on is now now you yeah. you can see the subtlest of the of the subtle now, which is what you're working yeah. with. That's what I'm working with, but it's still kind of like a mapping process for me. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I don't have my aim isn't like completely set yet, but it's, I mean, this is kind of what it is that um, there's yet no one uh, to reach uh, light body or full rainbow body. Uh -huh. So we're kind of uh, mapping things and especially Baba and uh, receiving teachings and empowerments and uh, finding the final pieces pieces to the puzzle mm. so to say if and um i was just reading uh, my um uh, testimony or account um, about my practice path oh, yeah. and uh, i was reading it and, and especially time the time after my 10th perfected and uh, the um, 11th and 12th and 13th with all the enjoyment aspects kind of just like life becoming really juicy I was like oh my god I want that back because now I'm working on clearing um, like physical trait like traces in the physical body as we were talking mm -hmm. in the beginning so you have the mind and you have the physical body yeah, yeah. and uh, they're interconnected and um, in the interface between the mind and the physical body um, like the traumas in the mind kind of leave imprints on the physical body so the stuff now you have an empty body or, or empty mind but you still have to purify those traces that, that like those imprints i mean if you're keep squeezing your hands tight you can see where the hands were or fingers were mm. squeezing so kind of those imprints kind of echoes in the physical body so um so this is post buddhahood kind of practice this is well yes like the first stage of buddhahood is that the emptiness aspect of the mind but it the emptiness aspect of the mind doesn't cover the emptiness of the physical body yet so that's what i'm working on now in my practice and i was as i was said that i was reading uh, my uh, what i'd written just after the 10th and I was just like oh my god I was just so happy and content and I had <laughs> no idea what was coming yeah and I just want that back <laughs> no not really. um, I don't want to go through what I've been going through lately uh but it's it, it kind of takes on a new like your perception shifts so you've been first you've been focused on emptiness or in in all aspects then you then kind of then comes the the aliveness and the juiciness and mm -hmm. the, the freshness and like the really potent aliveness then you notice that you're kind of starting to fall back into to something and it took a while to understand what it was how long are you talking um, about when you say a while it's been going on well the good and nice part lasted for a couple of months yeah. after the 10th perfected and uh, then you're kind of starting to work on those trauma or echoes the imprints that are stored in the physical body the difference there is that um, when you're working on your mind you're kind of uh, chipping away small pieces at, at a time mm -hmm. and uh, different aspects of a trauma 
but you, you're never addressing the whole trauma in one go, but mm. just like so, some aspects. So, and, 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 and kind of chipping away on that. But now when you're purifying the, the, the echoes and the imprints in, from your physical body, the whole trauma hits you in one go. And what makes it quite straining is that you have, you have a completely clear and empty mind. And then you have this trauma bubble up from your physical body. Mm -hmm. And because there's nothing in your mind that obstructs seeing the pain and the discomfort and the trauma, mm -hmm. it's so gripping. It's yeah. just like it, it, it still tugs. Your mind doesn't stray, but you're just acutely aware of the trauma that you're working on and that arises from the physical body. So it's sort of a tug in the physical body. So the emptiness aspect is perfectly clear and wakeful. I'm just yes. trying to get a better uh, sort of dive into this a little bit because it could be confusing. Well, it has been confusing for me. I've been chatting to you guys for a while now to try and sort of work through this in my head. But we assume that uh, Buddhahood, everything is perfect all the time. But now here we're working to the light body, the full rainbow body, and we're working with the, the trapped karma in the physical cells. So that tug is going on, is it? sort of in the physical body but you're perfectly aware it's, it's within perfect clarity it's within perfect clarity exactly mm. if you get really scared or frightened you yeah. have a physical reaction and usually you you kind of feel like your mind and your focus kind of go goes like in in a fight or flight mode and uh -huh. you get kind of like tunnel vision yeah. Um, and your heart start to race and everything. And, and you notice that your mind kind of, you just like mind, that your mind also kind of goes for like like this. Um, you have the same physical experience. You, you get that kind of, uh, you get the physical anxiety, you get the heart palpitations, you get the whole physical experience, but it happens inside a completely clear mind. So you're, aware of all the aspects of that um, emotion that you're that that just arose mm -hmm. so it's not just like a tiny bit of of being frightened it's the whole experience like 360 yeah, right. um, degrees in all directions in full color or like the whole horribleness of it <laughs> just like washes over you inside a perfectly clear mind Mm -hmm. I'm I'm hearing brief glimpses about these accounts from you guys and Bubba and Simha, etc. This is still an exploration for our Sangha, uh, working this out. But from the sounds of it, it's the trauma is there. But now, because we have a completely clear and wakeful mind, there's no part of us which can run away from that anymore. So we're exactly. we're we're faced with that, and there's nothing to turn away from because uh, we, we can't turn away from it is there and apparent and so it's it, it's sounds from the the accounts of things that this is quite difficult stuff to to deal with even as fully wakeful beings yeah it, it is and um, especially the thing that there's 
there's nothing in your mind that you can hide behind. Mm-hmm. There's no gunk in your mind. There's no confusion in your mind. There's nothing that you can. Um, I think I just wrote um, in my practice log uh, about this that um, you can, because uh, if you are in mental pain, you you you, you like or emotional um, turmoil, you can think that okay, I'll detonate the bomb in my life just so that I'll get some change. And you, you kind of think that that will alleviate the situation. But there's there's no different, like for me now, um, I could be on holiday on the world's most beautiful island, or I could fly to space, or I could <laughs> sleep and wake up in the morning. And I mean, I could do the nicest things in the world. I wouldn't have anywhere to hide that pain and discomfort that arises from the physical body. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of also like a, um, a thing that either you finish practice and reach light body, or then you're stuck in suffering like this for the rest of your life. That's <laughs> <laughs> something you want to. <laughs> so, I mean, in that sense, I mean, I, I've had um, the same way that you have cessations of the mind, I was where everything's. Um, you can have physical cessations as well, where the body feels just perfect. There's, mm. It feels absolutely alive, absolutely joyous. It feels just like a physical body should feel. I know uh-huh. it, it uh-huh. sounds really weird. It's like the same thing with awakening that you're like, oh my God, how didn't I realize this? That this yep. is what, it's so natural that it feels... It feels so complete and so whole and so wholesome and so joyous and so capable and light and fresh and just like something that I have never experienced, like such perfection of like the union between mind and body that it's just, uh, I've had it a few times. Just like, like the first one was, yeah, a, a, like a fraction of a second. Then the second one was maybe two seconds. And then the third one was 10 to 15 seconds, maybe. Um, so enough time that I could actually kind of uh, look into it. Mm-hmm. Like, because the, the first ones were just like, I was just like, oh, what, like a fast car driving by. And I was like, oh, what was that? But this time, like when it was longer, I could actually kind of tune in and notice things that felt different so just to be clear for um, the listener here it's these are different to yeah. the cessations you had before the perfection of 10th boomy uh, in a way those were uh, cessations into emptiness but now this is a different kind of cessation this is a cessation into the full light body yes exactly um, the emptiness of the mind has the aliveness and uh, the, the joyfulness and the lusciousness aspect. So then you have the emptiness of the physical body having all those same qualities mm. and those two kind of um, merging in into one complete big cessation, which I, well, I haven't, I would think that that's pretty close to the experience of having a rainbow body. Yeah. Mm. Oh. Thank you so much for taking on on this wonderful journey. Uh, some very clear descriptions of your practice and your path and 
these insights that you've gained uh, a very nice perspective i think uh, for everyone J just to show how different everyone's experiences are of this this raw human experience that we're all going through maybe there's two main things that i get from this uh, journey that you've taken us on uh, one of the biggest things was this realization that actually it's not just about me it's it's about what this can do for everyone and yeah. that uh, little story of you with your daughter lying in bed at night and you're there comforting her and you you're having these thoughts that oh, isn't this a, a a beautiful thing that I'm here selflessly and uh, and it was those thoughts of bodhicitta that actually took you to this final insight of of emptiness and yeah. then I get a real sense of this uh, feminine wisdom in you of surrender. Uh, th this really sounded like what the final moments of your realization of emptiness were. It was even this the surrender from from the goal of of emptiness, e even surrendering from that. Uh, so the path seems to have been a kind of a progress of this surrender into the bodhicitta. Uh, a surrender to the devotion to the gurus and their compassion for you without surrendering to that there's no feeling that compassion and that that yeah. compassion is a reflection of what's in all of us yeah and that's kind of um and that's exactly that it's in all of us um mm -hmm. that those are the aspects that are starting to come through more and more in my life and, and in my expression and, and in those feelings that I'm mm. experiencing as uh, making sense and uh, being nourishing in a way for me is when I'm acting and being aligned with expressing that bodhicitta, that compassion in my life. Lovely. Um, so thanks so much for taking your time. I think it will, lots of people will benefit from your pearls of wisdom. And thank you very much. Until next time. <laughs> thank you, Chris. It was a joy talking to you. <laughs>